And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 183. 183. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, it's uh, another day in paradise, man. We're getting getting close to Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving's behind us. And it looks like we are gearing up to get some reviews from fourth quarter, you know, companies doing their year in and, uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to be expecting a lot of good news coming no. out of some of these reports. No, 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 no. But Josh, real quick before we get into that, so at the end of this month, at the end of this month, we have talked the past few months about hey, you know, either we're going to have to run ads or we're going to run uh, the newsletter ad. We prefer to do the newsletter ad because it's it goes directly into our pockets, right? We don't got to run ads through someone else, but um, and we can keep the ads minimized. But if we do not get a certain amount of new subscriber, subscribers, then we're going to have to just go to the ad model. Um, so we have what three, four shows left this month. If you want to keep the show kind of like it is, this is up to this is a listener decision with your pocketbook, obviously, but a listener decision. So we're going to give you, I think it is 30% off forever to the War Room newsletter. Uh, we will put the link at the top of the show notes. And so, um, you know, Josh, if all of our subscribers, if all our downloads subscribed, we might could make Steffi the intern like pay her minimum wage for like one hour a week, right? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, one hour a week. You might have to bring her on like one hour a week to pay her for like see, was it, $7.25. So consider doing that. We're not going to do it. Obviously, we're not going to pay Stephanie anything because that would be, you know, she would no longer be a free intern. But in all seriousness, if you want to support the show, that is the best way to do it. Um, Horror Media, we have our Texas Long Gas Podcast link. It is the top one. If you use that, that will help us keep from running ads on the show, and we would really appreciate it. If not, then we'll be happy to read the do do the ad reads like everyone else does. So um, that's it, Josh. All right, Ryan. Well, we got uh, we'll kick things off. Uh, so a little bit of good news. Uh, at least I think it's good news. I didn't have a, a conversation with Ellen, but uh, OPEC agreed to gradually ease production cuts. So. Um, you had a deal with her last week. Some of the listeners may not have tuned into that. So what's, what's the deal with OPEC? Are they going to extend these cuts? If so, do we know for how long, uh, how, when are they going to start ramping up production? And I mean, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, you have this and also news this morning, uh, or at least I found an article this morning that the Saudis are raising their price. Um, for the Q1, I think it is or early next year. And so they're raising their Asia price for early next year. So, OPEC feels like they have, you know, um, maybe, that, maybe at, least, at least the Saudis maybe feel like they, they're in a good spot right now. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, think about where we're at in this timeline. We are, uh, what, 23 days, 24 days for the end of the year. The vaccine, to my knowledge, has not been rolled out anywhere in mass, right? So that means that you're going to expect more COVID cases, more restrictions, and more shutdowns through the winter. Unless I miss something, right? I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I'm asking, like, all seriousness. Like, that seems to be a fair deduction. I, I would. I would tend to agree with that. Okay. So the the fact that the oil oil prices WTI sitting at 45 and Brent's at 48 right now is is absolutely stunning. Um, LA, I know, is back under tighter restrictions. Um, so. I'm curious where the optimism comes from. Um, obviously, I think if you believe the vaccine will be mass distributed by the end of Q1 next year, that's one thing. But that, but 
but believing that the vaccine will be distributed and people will will demand will increase by the end of Q1 is not saying that the that the price is priced right today. That's something different. And so we got David Blackman coming on. I'm curious what he thinks because to me the price seems high. It seems like it's due for a correction. It hasn't, so maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, and, and the final thing I, I wrote about this today in the in the War Room newsletter actually was this kind of you know a lot of the stock market right now is is really inflated. It's overinflated um, because of the the Fed pumping money into it. And so um, the the one gas market feels the same way that that we're you know, the price is too high. And I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer. I don't want low prices. That's not what I want. I just don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, I guess, that we're going to set ourselves up for failure here in two or three months when, uh, if we have a big price collapse and then folks, you know, over drilled because they thought the price would be sustainable. Final thing is, though, it might give companies a hedge price. And so they could hedge out their oil for 2021, which will allow them to work. Of course, it wouldn't be good for the, for the market price, but, but you know, they could hedge out a little bit further and, you know, uh, be able to drill even though the prices are low. I wonder, I wonder how the, those hedge companies feel um, when that when the oil hit, you know, negative 37 and they had it hedged at 50. I mean, do you think they're a little uh, cautious about doing hedges now? I bet they have. I mean, they have to have. I, wait, there was a threshold, though, if it hit below a certain number, though. Well, yeah, there was some type, yeah, there's some type of, a couple type of hedges, depending on what they're doing. But, um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do about that, you know, if they're, you know, how they're going to price it to sell it i would be you know i wouldn't want to sell a hedge right now right because you know you you know we got to get through this this thing and um and kind of go go forward now i would want to buy a hedge if i was an oil gas producer but i don't i would not want to be in the business of guaranteeing i'm going to pay you a certain amount of money for 2021 Um, no yeah especially i mean unless there was a certain um, like a certain you could have a a safety net you know if it drops below 38 right right then my hedge at 50 drops to 42 or something like that, you know, it's like structure that way. Right on it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and there are some that are kind of structured that way. Um, I'm not a, not the hedging guru here, but we can get on. Um, oh, who was it? Pickering or whoever, who kind of follows that stuff. But anyways, um, with that being said, you know, if you're sitting here and you're looking at 2021 and you're thinking, dang, we went through this year and price is only at $45 a barrel. You know, that's a good sign uh, if you believe that the price is right. I'm just not convinced that the price is where it should be. So, uh, but you know, it is what it is. Well, I guess, well, the price is there. And so we'll have to see you know, where it is as we move forward. Well, we have uh, another article. So pricing agency considers adding WTI Midland to benchmark. Uh, so this could potentially be uh, good news for WTI. It might help pricing and uh, the way that it is traded. So uh, it's an interesting article. We'll, we'll link in the show notes if, if you want to go take a look at it just to get some more information. But um, I think they've been looking at this for, for quite a while. But uh, what they're saying is that it's not really going to affect anything until March uh, cargoes until March of 2022. So it shouldn't have a quick effect. You know, it's not going to be anything very soon. But going forward after that, it could have a, a positive impact. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see if they do put it on there. Um, I hadn't heard, I hadn't, I didn't know they were considering doing that. That would be, that would be interesting to see what that does for the, for the price differentials out there. You know, I, uh, I saw there's an article, we, we didn't pull it up. Uh, there's an article where they were, uh, people were trying to discourage drilling out in the sea 
and it's going to go into one of the things we're going to mention at the end. Uh, heck, I'll mention it now. The Denmark um, is planning to phase out oil and gas production by 2050. So when I say phase out, they're trying to be done, it looks like, by 2050. So they're going to be phasing it out, and they're trying to get to a point where they're no longer using fossil fuels. Or I'm not using it, not, not no longer producing fossil fuels by 2050. That's, that's pretty... Uh, you know, the thing is, Ryan, when I, when I hear that, it's like it's so far out there when I, when I see these projections or what they're going to do by 2050. It's like, okay, so when you're wrong in 2050, like, what are you going to say? I mean, right. what's, what's the recourse if you don't hit that number? Like, do you burn the whole country down? Or, <laughs> well, there's no recourse to this stuff. And that's the thing that, fr- that frustrates me is they say stuff without – it's no penalty or no um, – yeah, it's a little no bit different if you're an elected official to be completely wrong, where there's you know me and you on a podcast that's completely wrong. So I, I read this, maybe I read this wrong, Josh. I read this as they're going to stop issuing new licenses, and so what will happen is, you know, you might could drill, and I don't know if the full details of this story, but the way I understand this to be is that you know if you drilled in 2050 because you had a license drill in 2050, that's fine as long as that as long as that well will go um, offshore, you know, you know, as long as it'll go you're good to go. But once it's done, you know, there's, there's gonna be no new drilling in 2051 or 2052 or 2053. So eventually it will be phased out like that. That's how I read it. I didn't think, I didn't read it to be that they're going to stop allowing you to drill in 2050. You see the difference? Well, so yeah. Yeah. So uh, the way I, the way I read it and there's may not, it may not be specific enough, but what, what I saw was, um, they were going to stop there. You're right about the new licenses, but it looks like they're going to start doing that now. They're starting to phase out new licenses now so that by 2050, there's no more production. That's what, that's what I thought I, I saw, but okay. maybe, I, maybe I misread it then. I could be wrong as well. Yeah. That'd be something that we'll, we'll follow up on it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll check it. Uh, I'll check in on it. Now, you know, we have the whole crude quality issue and you know, we'll kind of put that aside, but Let's be honest. Stories like this are good for Texas. Okay. Yeah. Like this are good. Absolutely. So, you know, we don't. You know, I know we have listeners. Uh, I think I put it out the other day. I said you think about our about our our what we're in like forty countries or something on Spotify alone. Yeah, we're like number one in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Yeah. Well, that was a different deal. Yeah. So this was that's the Spotify stuff. Mm-mm. Um, I bet I did. You probably were communist. Yeah, I did. You didn't. You just didn't read it. Here it is. Um, so we're in like. 38 countries on spotify oh by the way we're in audible so if you have audible now you can download our podcast in audible um let's see here so on spotify we're in 38 countries so for the folks in denmark and we're big in canada we're big in the uk uh those folks just don't yeah so we're up 393 percent in canada 270 percent in the uk and 49 percent in the u.s um i'm a little concerned though because the folks that over there in Denmark, uh, which are which is yeah, thirty eight countries. Yeah, this is this for Spotify, not our iTunes platform, which is bigger. Um, I'm a little concerned, Josh, because the folks in Denmark might hear that we're saying is good for Texas, and then might try to go back and you know <laughs> undo it, some yeah. of this nonsense. So maybe we shouldn't cover yeah. the global stories <laughs> on here. Well, we got to be careful directing uh, international affairs. International you know, policy, so, right? Yeah, we got to be careful with that. Yeah, you know, to your your question about what um, what does this mean long term? You know, I think this year is kind of the year where you can just say anything. 
I mean, think about some of the discussions we've had just in the U.S. alone this year. Um, and so, obviously, this is the larger narrative that's been playing um, for you know quite some time now. But, you know, in five years, if they come back and change their mind, you know, I, I won't be surprised, and, and you won't either, or 10 years or whatever it is. Um, but it feels like this year you kind of get the pass to say, hey, we're making big plans 20, 30, 40 years down the road, and not really going to get a lot of investigation into that because everyone else is, you know, looking into the pandemic and, you know, and all the stuff involved with that. Well, I mean, the, the, just the, the sheer volume of miscalculations this year, you know, 2.2 million people were going to die with the shutdown or without it or something like that. And then, uh, I mean, there's just, just the numbers have been staggering that have been put out and, and how wrong these people have been. Uh, seems like you, you can just say anything if you're an elected official and not have any recourse. So, uh, or a podcast host. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> un- unfortunately our listeners, um, they don't learn how to acclimate to people being wrong so often because we're right. So right, right right, the time. Yeah. But, they're, they're a little stunned when uh, they think this podcast, right? Yeah. The real world. <laughs> so, uh, we got a, we got a couple of stories I want to, I want to hit. So, uh, Number one, uh, Concho warns of 500 Houston job cuts as uh, I say Concho, ConocoPhillips and Concho deal. That's happening. 500 Houston job cuts is what they're is what they're uh, portraying is going to take place here. So hold on, I think you got it backwards here. ConocoPhillips is going to dismiss 500 people because of the Concho deal. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. They're, they're, they're going to be picking some people to, to fill, but because of the uh, acquisition, they're going to be getting rid of a lot yeah. of the excess. Yeah. And that's bad news for folks right now because, uh, it's, you know, I mean, anytime 500 people get laid off, obviously you know, nothing to sneeze. Right, right yeah. I mean, where, where, where are you going to go get, get, get a job? That's going to be a tough, tough market to be in. Yeah. Just, just uh, listeners can do this. I mean, if you just look at Conoco and Concho, those names, really close yeah no so it's easy to flip them around no, yeah, I, no, so. I don't blame you I, I had to read it twice because i was like wait what's what's going on here i'm not i'm not sure if he, did he read that right so i'll read it but no it's yeah conoco warns of 500 job cuts as the concho deal nears i actually thought they had a typo because it's <laughs> it's so close all right today we have guest david blackman back on the show with us he's the editor of shell magazine and a contributor for forbes and uh, it's been a little while since, yet, since we had you back on the show, David. So glad it to have you, been. man. Yeah, man. I was feeling feeling left out, guys. Well, we're sorry about that. It's been, <laughs> I think I sent you a message. If you want to come on and drink some beer, and we can all cry on our beer. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough few months. Um, <laughs> let's put it mildly. <laughs> so yeah, so David, we were talking before you got on about uh, the price. So for those who I guess the last time me and you talked about the price or anything was at our show round table. Um, and quick summary there was, you know, everyone kind of agreed that 2021 is you know, probably going to be a rough year for producers, but I- I'm intrigued right now. The price WTI is at what? 45. We we're talking about this before you came on. Yeah. It was uh, over 46 Friday. Yeah. Uh, the Saudis are talking about increasing their, their price to their Asia market. Uh, I, I doesn't make sense to me because it feels like more shutdowns, lockdowns and, Loss of demand's coming, David, but you are the expert. What am I missing here? Well, uh, yeah, but I, I think it's going to be pretty short term this time. I, I, it looks like we have 
kind of a similar scenario with COVID going on right now that happened late in the summer, where you're going to have a, about a month long spike and then it's going to rapidly decline. And, and then at least theoretically, we have at least three different vaccines that are going to come on the market in the next month or two that are going to be miracle cures and, and clear the whole thing up for us, just like the flu vaccine is every year. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, um, Sorry, but, if, you, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think what has people actually fairly optimistic about from the demand side is, is what's been happening in Eastern Asia. Mm. Uh, and, and really in India as well, even, even with some shutdowns and lockdowns, uh, demand just keeps rising and uh, recovering. And it's recovering pretty strongly in Europe, too, uh, in spite of all the things that are going on there related to COVID. So, you know, people need gasoline and people need to move around. And even in the United States, even though traffic is reduced and I think is permanently reduced as a result of all this, I think we'll we'll have millions of people working from home now who were not working from home before. Uh, those people still get out and go to the grocery store and, and want to go to dinner in the evening. And, and so, you know, I think overall demand's going to be down after all of this is over. It won't be 100 million barrels uh, a year globally, but it might be 98 million. And it might recover to 100 million by 2022. I've seen some several projections that uh, sometime during 2021, even OPEC thinks, we're going to be back at the 100 million barrel demand globally. So I, I think that's a pretty optimistic scenario. But the whole thing, I mean, we just keep coming back to this as we have for three years now. The whole thing, House of Cards, depends on uh, OPEC Plus and that deal hanging together. Those countries are right now holding 7.7 million barrels a day of their own production off of the market. Mm. And that's the only thing that's allowed, enabled the price to go as high as it is. It's the only thing that have allowed, has allowed probably hundreds of American producers to avoid bankruptcy court until now. And if that thing falls apart again, just like it did, by the way, on March 4th of this year, um, we're going to be right back where we started from with less than $20 a barrel oil and, and no visible way to recover from that. And, I'll stop now. We can, we can talk about Iran and the Biden administration. As well, we yeah. So real, real, real quick, I, I wanted to bring up the Asia stuff because, you know, China, I believe is the second largest uh, oil and gas market in the world yeah. behind the U S and while China's official policy is, is they don't have allies and they're not really <laughs> trying to make anybody mad and they're just out here yeah. doing their thing and, you know, whatever. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see China put a little pressure um on the U.S. by going to some of these OPEC nations saying, hey, listen, we need more oil. We'd like to put it in storage. We'd like to keep it. And you could see some pressure come from OPEC Plus because of China sure. looking to strike deals, just like they struck a deal with Iran a few months back. Sure. And and today we have the, not just, not just China, but today we have the largest flotilla of crude oil laden tankers uh, heading from Iran to Venezuela. Because Venezuela has stopped producing oil, basically, or stopped drilling anyway. It's still producing, but it's a fraction of what it was. And so that now they're beginning to import a bunch of crude from Iran. And, and you know, if, if when Biden becomes president, you, you uh, re-enter the Iran deal and suddenly 
Um, another million barrels a day, at least, is on the market from Iran alone. And, and real quick um, on on that, um, are you of the belief on the Iranian oil that it's already on the market, but it's being hidden as kind of a Nazis? Or a do lot you of it is. Okay, yeah, and that and that's part of the problem yeah. is that that the market maybe there's more oil out there than we're even accounting for because of the Iranian stuff. Right. Yeah, there is, but but it's not not an overwhelming amount, and and the OPEC plus deal has has overshadowed that. Mm-hmm. And uh, as long as that deal can hold together, you know, we can continue along with this current kind of a scenario. But I just, you know, and I've always written about this many, many times, and it's just you always have that caveat sitting there for U.S. shale producers. Their whole business model currently and for the last three years has been dependent on that deal of adversarial countries, you know, who are adversaries, competitors, keeping their own crude off the market in order to enable you to remain, you know, keep your business model going. And that's a bad place to be. Yeah. Well, um, Josh and I were talking uh, before you got on about Denmark, I think it was, is, you know, getting rid of their licenses or cutting their licenses and be net, you know, net zero negative carbon yeah. whatever by 2050. News like that, though, we're saying is actually good for Texas oil gas, right? Because sure, if some of these European countries, um, even though it's not the same type of crude, are going to push away from the oil and gas industry, in the long haul, that's got to be a benefit for us. But, I mean, it's not 2021, obviously. But, you know, there is, I guess, light at the long tunnel, end of the tunnel, maybe. Yeah. And, and, and of course, how how much it is, is is dependent on how real that net zero really is. Are they doing it for real? Are they really going to generate all their energy from renewable sources or are they doing it through this, this uh, scam of, of trading green credits, right? Uh, You know, which emissions credits is just this shell game that kind of you, you, you have the overall globally, you still have the same amount of emissions. Mm -hmm. You just shift the responsibility for them to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have these cute little credits here that you get to say, Oh, gee, we're getting all our energy from renewable sources when in reality you're not, it's not true. It's not real. And it has no impact on the, on the real world market. So when, when I see those announcements, you, you always have to get into the fine print and, and see exactly how it is. They're going to try to accomplish that because a lot of it's just frankly fraudulent and uh, pure PR stunt. And uh, you know, so I, again, it, it's real impact on the market just depends on how real it really is. I I use the word real a lot. Yeah. I I mean, with, uh, with the Biden administration coming up, um, I think a lot of companies are going to have to start posturing with this PR a lot more aggressively because uh, it's, I mean, the the, cuts on, they're about to stop drilling on federal lands or put restrictions on that. And then um, just in general, I mean, you got Oxy coming out saying they're going to be, uh, zero emissions by 2050. And then you got the stuff that Ryan mentioned in Denmark. Um, I think we're going to keep seeing this coming up and I don't know, I don't know how we're going to be able to keep up with that sort of pace. Uh, well, we're yeah. not. And, and to the extent the industry thinks that engaging in those kinds of PR stunts is going to impress anyone at the EPA and the Biden administration, they have to remember that the people who will be staffing the EPA and a Biden administration are the people who literally invented the green credit scam. Okay. 
they know how that game is played. And if they think that, oh, gee, I'm going to declare, I'm going to get to zero zero emissions by 2050, and that's going to somehow help stave off these major regulations that will be coming down from EPA, uh, they're living in a dream world. I mean, these are these people know how that game is played, and like I say, they're the ones who invented it. So I, I just don't think it does any companies any good. Now, to the extent they're really going to do it, and want to invest their capital in real renewable energy projects, like you have to give credit to BP and Shell to the extent they really do that, because they do invest hundreds of millions of dollars in those things. Even Exxon does. Uh, to the extent it's real, then then more power to them. You know, if that's how they want to spend their capital dollars and their investors are happy with that and impressed by it, then that's a good corporate strategy. But to the extent they're trying to do it to impress a regulator in a democratic administration, mm, probably not so much. Yeah. So we covered a story is you know um, a few weeks back before the election, I guess a few months back. Exxon had given, I think, 40% of their campaign monies to the Biden camp and Chevron to the 21, 21% to the Biden camp. The last numbers that we saw, something like that. Uh, you might have mm-hmm. coordinated numbers. And it's not surprising from the standpoint of big companies doing that. But, you know, when I first no. met you, David, I was, um, you know, I, this about four years been doing podcasts and stuff. So Trump had just came in office and we started talking. And one of the things that <laughs> you were really harping on was him pulling back the um, the Obama era EPA, the methane emissions regulations and how that hurts right. small producers. Um, we're not, you know, we're, we're in a struggling industry right now. Are the smaller producers going to look at some of these bigger guys and say, Hey, screw you guys. We're sick and tired of these regulations. And you try to po- partner up with the Dems when they get in, you, you're really trying to squeeze us out through legislation. Uh, might we see a little bit more contentious <laughs> few years between the smaller guys and the bigger guys where they're out, publicly criticizing each other. Yeah. I mean, we always do in democratic administrations. We always has, have that tension in the industry. I remember, you know, I was very active in IPAA um, and domestic petroleum council during the Clinton years. And uh, we got a lot of stuff done in the Clinton years. Uh, but there was that constant tension between the big guys and the little guys. And I think it really probably got even more tense during the Obama administration uh, just because the Obama administration was, was really, particularly in its second term, was really trying to crack down uh, on the oil and gas industry. And those regulations really were targeting the small producers a lot more than they were going to do any harm Mm -hmm. to any of the big guys. Uh, So, yeah, we'll see that that make a big comeback now. And, um, you know, that's just uh, I mean, there's just always the, the small producers always have that tension with the majors. Uh, you can go back and read the prize and other really good books on the history of the business. And you'll see that, you know, going back to the East Texas field and HL hunt and oh, yeah. humble oil company, you know, well now social media though, they can really blast them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot, a lot more ways. Yeah. The, the communication is a lot more intense and in real time now. Yeah. A uh, couple more questions for me. I don't, Josh, do you, you have anything else? I, 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 I will cut you off. Okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, you, I know you do your annual predictions this year, predictions where you're throwing all of that out the window because of what <laughs> happened. Um, have you started to kind of formulate where you're looking for 2021 or are you going to say, you know what, 2020, <laughs> can't well, want to talk about predictions for 2021? Well, right now I'm, I'm, I'm get, starting the process of, of putting together my review for mm-hmm. 2020 
Um, and then the, the predictions for 2021 will come after that. But I mean, you can see some of the just fundamentals. Uh, I mean, I think we can anticipate that uh, because you've got all this pit up tension within all these companies to drill more wells, I think we'll see a rising rig count in the first quarter uh, with, with somewhat, not dramatically, but somewhat bigger drilling budgets for the first half of next year mm-hmm. and that the industry will probably drill too many wells as OPEC plus is, is kind of uh, reducing their, the amount of oil they're holding back from the market at the same time. And I expect towards the end of the first half of the year, we'll have a little glut uh, develop on the market and the price will go down. And then we'll, we'll see a declining rig count for the second half of the year. Um, some things are, are sadly predictable and, and, you know, one, one thing that's really predictable about our domestic industry here in the U S is we will always uh, drill ourselves into a bad situation uh, whenever possible. And I think the first half of this year will make that possible. But as you get towards the end of 2021, if OPEC plus discipline holds together, there's a real prospect for $60 oil, uh, at least the Brent price, and $55 WTI towards the end of next year, I, I think just looking ahead that far. But that makes an awful lot of assumptions about what's going to happen with COVID and all that sort of stuff and politically. So yeah, it, it's really, a, it's, it's really going to be a, a real hard thing to be right about any predictions. For right, right. No, no, no. We're not holding anybody. <laughs> listen, you know, we're not holding anybody's feet this fire on this one. You, you just can't because there's so right. many, so many variables. And, 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 you know, one of the things I, I wrote about this the other day is that, um, you know, po- the populist kind of ideas and movement, the, you know, uh, whatever you think about the populist movements, they're, they're different very much geographically and by country and by region, but there's a lot of populist movements that are going on internationally. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not entirely convinced that next year we might not see instability from the standpoint of, the, the, the populist movements of these various countries looking to their government leaders saying, you know what, you guys screwed us for the past year. You've been screwed us for a long time. We're just not listening to you guys anymore. And that might be a, a unique pressure on old demand um, that, that we, can't, we, we we might see coming out of COVID. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's kind of a, one of the things I'm kind of – Yeah, it could be. It, and, you know, and all that's a, a, a um, rejection – particularly in Europe, of globalism, just like Trumpism has been a rejection of globalism here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And this, this thought process, so it's not just America that has shipped jobs to China mm-hmm. and South Korea, mm-hmm. okay? It's all those European countries too. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, all those countries have allowed pretty much open borders immigration with, with a few exceptions. Mm-hmm. And so you have just a, a, a dramatically higher rate of unemployment, lower rate of economic growth in Europe throughout Europe. And I think that's really the pressure that is leading to all those populist movements over there, just as it led to the same thing here in the United States. Um, you know, as a result of this election this year in the U.S., we're, we're kind of backing away from that, at least for four years here in the U.S., uh, and you just have that. to see how that for, goes. Are we back away for four years or for two years? Well, I, I would say, let me tell you that. Regardless of um, whatever you think about Biden, I think everyone agrees he's not going to run again. He's kind of said that. I don't think he'd be too old. He's not going to run again. So at the midterms, Kamala is going to want to take a 
more prominent role in the administration because she will want to run in 2024. To sure. me, the Republicans have a really two-year window um, to really, you know, gain back you know seats in the House or you know whatever happens in the Senate. We'll see. Um, obviously, Biden will be in charge for four years, but um, you might even have a divided presidential administration in the last two years. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I I suspect Kamala will be the president by before the midterms. I don't th- I don't think the plan is for Biden to serve four <laughs> years, and I'm just being blunt about it. Right, right. Uh, I I really don't anticipate he'll remain in the presidency through the end of 2021. Uh, but yeah, you know, you get to those midterms if the uh, if the economy has stalled and begun to fail during Biden's Biden Harris first term. Uh, then the midterms are going to go very badly for the incumbent administration, as they generally do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll see the Republicans uh, have majorities in both houses of Congress again, and that will stall the Biden legislative agenda. But, yeah. you know, st- really starting with the George W. Bush administration, um, president, the presidency has become much stronger than Congress uh, in the U.S., uh, government hierarchy and most business of each administration, at least the past three administrations has been done via executive orders yes. and regulatory processes. Yeah. Yeah. So Congress can hold, hold back the worst of the legislation, but it doesn't do you much good on the regulatory agenda. That, that's very true. Well, Congress doesn't want to do anything. That's their that's right. Their problem. Exactly. But, you know, so, uh, but no, the populist thing is interesting to me just because um, I, you know, we'll see what happens in the U.S. for the next, uh, you know, year or two or three or, you know, the Biden administration. Um, but I do think that that kind of gets missed. You know, the U.S. media at large does not cover international news. And so at all, you know, it's, you know, it's so distressing. When, 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 yes. When there's people protesting in the streets of wherever over whatever in the U.S., you kind of feel like, God, we're the only ones pissed off at anything. <laughs> well, if, you to, if you go to anywhere else, everyone's pissed off about everything oh, yeah. right now. And so I, I mean, I, I don't think there's ever a time in Paris that there's not an enormous crowd demonstrating about something, you know, at the Arche de Triomphe or whatever. It's I'm sure I mispronounced that, but you know, um, and and London, it's constant. It's constant in Berlin and 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 Vienna, and it's just our media doesn't cover it anymore, which is is really a a terrible development in the U.S. news media. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then if you look at, you know, Africa, um, there's a lot of unrest there in central, uh, central and South America. So I, I, I'm, I am concerned from a demand standpoint that we might see um, unrest. I do think that you also, the counter that is that the, you know, the, the U.S. and the U.N. will be pumping gazillions of dollars in, into these emerging markets to try to, to um, stave off some of that unrest. So anyways, I don't know <laughs> yeah. how, that, how that factors into the demand. I just think that we are still on, even if the COVID vaccine works, I think we're still on rocky grounds uh, from a lot of other issues going into 2021, as you mentioned, yep. people want to have a job, and if the job's in China or Vietnam or wherever it is, that doesn't know the vaccine did, did them any good. So, uh, go ahead. final word, David. Oh no, that, that, I, I agree with you. That's all I was going to say. Okay, uh, DB Daily Update, Shell Mag, um, Forbes. Um, anything else that we missed that we need to point people to to find you? No, that's pretty much all I got going on, man. Okay. I'm boring. <laughs> well, we will get you on uh, after the new year, maybe into January, early February. We won't keep it so long. Uh, <laughs> Good. Um, 
always happy always happy to be here well we love getting you on and uh it's good to see you happy hope you had a good thanksgiving and a merry christmas and a wonderful year and here's what 2021 is slightly better at least the 2020 (laughs) so it can't be worse right david we've hit the bottom oh god help us if it is man (laughs) (laughs) it's been a it's been a rough go this year it has been yeah all right sir well thank you so much we appreciate your time all right thank you guys Thanks again to David joining us on the show today. It's been a while since we had him on. It's great to hear his insights and uh, projections that he sees for twenty, the end of 2020 and 2021. So uh, great I having like, him I back on the show. I love that he's on the, the Kamala Harris shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's going to be in by the end of 2021 is what he said. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So I would not be surprised whatsoever. Listen, after 20, so let me tell you something about 2020. I don't care what tinfoil hat conspiracy you want to put on. You can't, after 2020, everything's on the table for discussion. We're talking about defunding the police. We're talking about shutting down euthanasia. I mean, we've talked about a lot of crazy oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah, dude, I heard, I heard, uh, you might have to edit this out. Oh, God. <laughs> and so I heard, uh, somebody told me today that, um, that the vaccines were phase two of China's attack on the U.S. Uh, so, <laughs> so phase one was COVID. Yeah, phase two is, is the vaccine. vaccine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, the, the I, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I just uh, I, there's stuff out there. There's there's, <laughs> there's enough conspiracies out there this year. Oh but, yeah, yeah. This is the real conspiracy is is that they kicked Alex Jones off because they knew that COVID was coming. And like, could you imagine if Alex Jones was on all social media? <laughs> right now oh my god oh he'd be having a heyday he'd be great he'd be having a heyday yeah. he would. <laughs> oh, so hey uh one final thing before we get off here uh if you want to support the show war room newsletter we'll link to that the first link in the show notes we'd really appreciate it um and we have on a guest guest for the rest of the, the year supposedly supposedly the big timer sergio Chapa will be reappearing before the end of 2020 so um well, I'm not getting my hopes up. You know how he is, Josh. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, with that, that is it for today. And we'll be back next week. And until then, keep bobbing.